right, you got your camera, you got a bag, you ready to go? Jump on in, we're heading down the road. My name's April, and I'm an award-winning landscape photographer and tour guide. I've been leading small group photo tours for over 20 years. For photographers, non-photographers, and anyone else that just likes to go for a great trip. So welcome to my podcast, Eyes for the Road. All right, here we are. Um, This is April with Eyes for the Road, and today I have a very special treat. I asked Dan Holmes, who I've known for a long time. He's a professional photographer focusing on landscape, but I, I think he runs the gamut. He's done weddings. He's done wildlife. He's got a list of accolades. Um, I could start to read them. Uh, he was named PPC Landscape Photographer of the Year. And for those of you who aren't familiar with PPC, it's the Professional Photographers Group of California, which is a large professional organization. California is full of photographers. So to be named Landscape Photographer of the Year in 2013 and then Nature Photographer of the Year in 2009, I think says a lot, along with CIPPA Photographer of the Year, which I believe is Channel Islands Professional Photographer Association, 2006 Nature Photographer of the Year of the same organization, 2007 and 2008. He's done multiple gallery shows for Patagonia, which for you outdoor enthusiasts, I'm sure you're familiar with Patagonia and their landscape outdoor wear. He's also had many featured exhibits of his own at the Museum of Ventura County to to, to list one, but the list goes on. And I was very honored to be welcomed into his lovely home that's wall to wall with his images of his multiple travels. So Welcome, Dan, and thank you for joining Eyes for the Road. Thanks, April. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So why don't we start with your background? What drew you to photography when you may have first gotten your camera? Share with our listeners kind of the beginning for you of the of this draw to photography. April, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that is. It's a, long, it's a big one. And a, and a long story. And uh I enjoy talking about it, and I've talked about it many times when I've done presentations. Uh, but it really, the the road, or the addiction, as I call it, started when I was about 11. Wow. And uh, I remember the day we were on a family trip to Santa Cruz and um, had a little box brownie camera. Wow. And I uh, ended up taking pictures of big waves crashing on a big rock. And thinking that was really pretty cool. Uh, we didn't say cool back then because that was before cool was cool. <laughs> but it was a long time ago. And I remember having a feeling kind of in my belly when I took that picture, several of them, and waiting for the waves to crash on the rocks. And then two weeks later when the pictures came back from the drugstore, um, getting that feeling again and going really, Wow. So that was kind of like my first hit of uh, light addiction, and uh, it's kind of stuck with me ever since. So you always had a a camera then from about 11 as a child, or you borrowed the family camera? or? Yeah, it was the family camera and um, the brownie and then the little Instamatic, and uh, didn't really do a whole lot through high school or, uh, you know, even weekends and things or trips but um 
really when I got into college, uh, one of the coolest things was uh, a good friend, a roommate at the time, uh, was from Hong Kong and uh, named David. And uh, he had one of the early Canon single-lens reflexes. But I didn't have enough money to buy it, so I asked my folks for a, a loan. And uh, they looked and said, oh, gosh, well, really, times are kind of tight. We really can't do it. Said, okay, bummer, but uh, life goes on. Then uh, Christmas comes, and we were all sitting around the, the group after opening presents and kind of in the afterglow. And uh, it was either my mom or my dad said, oh, wait, we forgot something. And so they go into the back room, and out comes a box with David Sito's camera. Oh, my goodness. I bet your heart just about. (laughs) Unbelievable. Complete surprise. Wow. And they had conspired with my other friends to connect with David to buy it. So it was a complete surprise. Yeah, but how fabulous to get it, to put it back in your hand. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. So that was the first time I was able to work with a real good tool. And what a story. I mean, really, when you think about how how now everybody's got a camera attached to their cell phone. I don't think a lot of the quote, I say younger, I, mean, I don't <laughs> feel like I'm in that category. But to remember, yeah, the film and the waiting, the expectation of what are those photos going to look like and to try to care. And then it's like a new memory, a new appreciation of seeing them again. So... Yeah, there's some real magic to that, and uh, you know, I recommend it to people. Is yeah, borrow a film camera and and go out and shoot some film or slides. Uh, there were a couple of points of that magic that you mentioned. Uh, one was um, watching the print develop in the solution, and uh, it was just magical. Stir it in the fixer and watch the print come to life. And another was waiting for the slides to come back from the developer and then putting them out on the light table right? and uh, looking at them with the loop and uh, reliving the trip. And, and at that time seeing the, um, the magic that uh, uh, it had a chance to create. That you captured, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So at what point, take, tell us a little bit about your journey from, you know, we all have to quote, have that career and pay our bills, but now how you've been able to transition from that, say, nine to five to making photography your life. I mean, you pretty much, just from reading what you're doing between leading the workshops and, you know, maybe doing some teaching, and I know you're involved in some of the local clubs as far as judging, what that journey or how that journey played out or at what point maybe of making that's that's kind of that scary jump, so to speak, of I can do this full time. Well, it was. It has been a really enjoyable journey and a long one. I grew up on a farm in Northern California and uh, spent, uh, gosh, junior high and high school years on a tractor. Wow. So every weekend, every summer. Uh, so uh, ate a lot of dust, just <laughs> a lot of noise, and got super, super bored. Um but it taught me a lot. Uh, you know, it, uh, uh, I'm quite comfortable being alone because I spent so many hours alone on a tractor. That's true. And a lot of time to think and wonder and, and uh, see what's over the hill. It made me want to look over the hill. Uh, every once in a while, and I have some fun with this, I say I have a problem with the north wind. 
And I get lots of looks just like you yeah, gave me. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> I'm just thinking, too, of sitting on the tractor, though, and your mind, too, of seeing, in a way, seeing the landscape, watching the light. I'm, And maybe I'm, I mean, I have a Midwest background as well, for those that don't know. I born and raised in Iowa. Again, I didn't sit on a tractor, but you would just have that relationship with the, with nature, being mm-hmm. outside and seeing the sunrise, So, like you. Mm-hmm. So all that time on the tractor, all that time. seeing the light change or observing it, maybe subconsciously at Subconsciously, the time. probably, because as a teenager, it was pretty boring. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, loud and noisy, up and down, up and down all day. And uh, But every once in a while, especially in the wintertime, uh, north wind would come in through the valley, generally after a storm, and it would completely clear the skies. And the days would be beautiful. And I could see the Sutter Buttes. I could almost see Mount Shasta. I could see the snow-capped Sierras and the green hills of the Coast Range. And sitting on that tractor, it just made me think, I want to go. I want to see what's on those mountains and on the other side. And uh, so I've been kind of chasing that north wind ever since. And it's been pretty significant. Um, so I was able to, I, I got a degree in agriculture and then worked um, 35 years in agriculture with a vegetable seed company. And uh, that was really pretty fortunate because it took me all over the world. Uh, we lived in South America for a while and then in Texas, California, and uh, business trips through almost every continent. Oh, wow. Which was really, really amazing and a, a wonderful experience. Uh, culture, people, places, and uh, as many conference rooms in every continent. They all look the same. Yeah. <laughs> I bet. So, um, and it took me a while. It was about, uh, so 35 years in the business, most of the time with one company. But about every three to four years, I would come to the realization, okay, I've done this job long enough. I've been a production field man long enough. Uh, Without even really thinking about it, I realize I'm ready for something new. And a new job within the company would come up. Mm. And, um, And it took me until I did a pretty extensive job of... uh, uh, working with uh, software programs and um, we called it logistics, that all of a sudden I began to realize that I was happiest when I was creating, when I was making something new. Um, I could help build it, uh, understand the process, uh, train and teach and implement. And then when it was up and running and it was time for the day-to-day business, the more of the routine work, it was time for me to move on because yeah. that's really what not was not my strong point. And um, so I began to think, okay, I'm the happiest creating. And that has a parallel in my life now as a photographer, because that's pretty much all I do is I get to create uh, every day when I wake up or every time I teach a class or run a workshop uh, or on a trip catch this amazing light and create, which is pretty awesome. Are you still doing, um, say, some commercial work for anybody as far as your photography is concerned? Or 
the bulk of what you do now is geared towards, say, the workshops or gallery shows, that type of thing? That's a and great question, and I kind of laugh at myself and say that one of these days when I grow up, I'll specialize. Because, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, no, I do uh, a lot of different things. I shoot uh, some marathons, which are a lot of fun, and it's a big job. Um, so I do some sporting events. I do commercial work. I just finished a job photographing a, a, a large uh, music store. Oh, wow. And uh, So really fun photographing guitars and flutes and ukuleles and then people interacting in the store. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, So, yeah, I enjoy the commercial work also. Yeah, because I did forget to mention in your list of your quote photography resume that you have been published. You've been published in Outdoor Photographer, I believe, 805 Magazine, which is a more regional magazine. Mm-hmm. I think was Cycling World or something mm-hmm. about cycling as well. Mm-hmm. So how have you found these contacts uh, or have they found you? Maybe that's... A little, a little of both. The very first one was a local magazine, which was really fun. And uh, I think they saw me uh, at an art show. And uh, one thing led to another and uh, to um, a featured article with uh, some early photographs, which was, was really pretty amazing. I haven't done a whole lot of publishing, but uh, it's, it's another Because, yeah, it's a thing. whole other avenue. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of, again, with that immediacy of everyone having kind of a camera in their back pocket with their cell phone or the affordability. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, there's different viewpoints on the affordability. Now everyone can own a camera, but I think a lot of people in their mind, they get, they get addicted to mm-hmm. the photography and it's now it's like, is there a way or how do I go about maybe monetizing that? You know, and I get a lot of questions from people, even with me, like, how do you turn that into, you know, money? And I think there's a lot of different avenues and I guess it depends so again, I know a lot of people ask, like, how has that worked for you? Have you really mm-hmm. feel like you seek those out? Or again, you're comfortable with kind of what comes to you? Or maybe talk a little bit about that. Okay, yeah, monetizing is a big thing, and it's a big question. Um, uh, for me, I've, I've been fortunate because I was able to move into it uh, with my long-term overhead taken care of with mm. my other career. Um, so I'm not a starving artist, which is nice. Yeah, that's nice. It's that's, really nice. That's a good place to be. And uh, so I, I work as hard as I want, which is quite a bit. And, uh, and I can do a lot. So I don't have to, uh, say, concentrate on being a wedding photographer. I do just enough weddings that every time I do one, it's fresh and I'm excited. Um, uh, I don't have to concentrate on hunting events Right. Um, so I do enough of everything um, to keep my business running and, uh, and successfully. And I'm quite happy with, with things that have come in. Great. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, now the exciting part for me, because my podcast is about photography and travel and being on the road, as Eyes for the Road kind of tells okay. you. Dan's just finding out about my podcast because it's all kind of new. I've been working on creating and again, it'll, you know, putting these out live, but the workshops, the adventures, Dan travels to some amazing places. I went to his website and I kind of keep tabs a little bit and he's in, I'm going to mispronounce it, Namibia, Bhutan, um, some of the other deserts, the people's Chile. 
is, is that pronounced right? <laughs> so exotic places. I think for a lot myself and many other travelers, it's kind of intimidating. Number one, to think about going there for ourselves, because a lot of us are, you know, we kind of like to plan the trip ourselves or feel like we can have some input. But then as a photographer who leads the workshops, how do you design these? I guess that's the first question. And and how these places got chosen. Oh, God. It's <laughs> so, so great. Tell me about that, because that to me is just of great interest. Yeah. Well, there's... um. There's there's places that are really on people's minds now um, that are must-go places. Uh, Iceland is one. Patagonia yes. is another. Um, and I tend not to go there. Right. Because <laughs> they are covered up. and uh, It's almost like too many people want to go there yeah, in a way. Yeah, and they're beautiful, gorgeous places. And when I go, I think I'll probably go to those places by myself. Right. Um there's so many amazing places to visit in this world and see and taste the culture and the food and the atmosphere. And it's not just about photography. It's really about a journey. <clears throat> Excuse me. A journey. And um, I actually kind of like to say, well, you know, Mr. Potential or Ms. Potential Participant, if the only thing you really want out of this trip is to get the best photograph of your life, mm-hmm. I'm going to say there's probably other trips that might suit you better. And I get a puzzled look again. Right. Because to me, it's about journeying with the camera. It's about the culture. It's about making new friends. It's about seeing. It's about tasting food. It's about learning. And it's about the ability to photograph all of those wonderful things. So it's kind of like the whole experience. Yes. Immersing yourself. Yes. Which I assume that might, and I may be overstepping because I want you to tell us about it. I noticed your trips are long. Some of them are 10 to 12 to 14 days. Yes. And Namibia next year will be 18 days. 18. 18 days. If we're going to go to Africa, we're going to go to Africa. And uh, my last trip was uh, 14 days, so two weeks. Um, and so we've extended it another four days. So we'll have two nights in an t- actual tented camp and uh, an extra night in an amazing lodge with uh, time for a hot air balloon ride. Oh, my goodness. And then the <laughs> final night in a uh, rescue, a, a large cat rescue operation. So we'll be able to get up close to cheetah and jaguar. Oh, my gosh. Um, leopard. Wow. I always get those mixed up. Um so part of it, how do I choose the place? Yeah, how do you choose? Places that I've wanted to go visit and okay. see. Um, I love desert. Um, and I'd been in Africa several times and had wanted to and read quite a bit. And read about uh, the history and the development of Namibia. And Namibia is was German Southwest Africa. Hmm. And an interesting colonial history. And um, and I'd wanted to do a walkabout or a driveabout. Right. Just go into Namibia and rent a four-wheel drive and go visit and explore. Well, I was able to seek that into a, phot- a, phot- a photography journey. Uh, so Namibia was always high on my, my map, on my list of places to go. Uh, I've been to Kenya. I've been to South Africa. I've been to Zimbabwe. And... Uh, Kenya is spectacular, but it's also very impacted with with people and photographers and trips. 
Uh, so we planned our Namibia trip actually in not in the peak season. So we traded uh, a little bit of heat because a little warm mm-hmm. for wide open roads with no people. Fantastic. Wow. And um, how many people do you usually take with you? Gosh, anywhere from one <laughs> to uh, we're looking at 12 for the next Namibia trip. I'm partnering with a, with another photographer. And uh, so it's kind of based on how many, how much interest, and then you kind of build it from there. That, or? or I like to keep the trip fairly small. Okay. You know, six is like perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight is, is a little more profitable. But six, I have a good chance to be in touch with everybody. There's enough people for a nice mix of personalities. Right. Um, and uh, logistics are much easier. See, yeah. How do you, the logistics? Yeah. I mean, that's a lot in itself. I mean, yeah. there may be, and I'm not familiar with some of these country, countries, but I imagine there's, you know, language barrier potentially, mm-hmm. or and how many people you need to kind of put it together mm-hmm. put the you know once you have the like i want to go here then it's creating it or do you pretty much oversee well i'll work um the logistics is there's i'm working with uh two or three really good travel agents okay and then the travel agent will work with an outfitter in the area and so namibia i've got a wonderful adventure travel agent here in ventura and she connected us with um ultimate safaris in in Namibia, and they're probably the best outfitter in Southern Africa. Wow. And we said we wanted, uh, I said, I want a, f- a photographic journey, and here's a couple of places I want to be, and we want to be at the death, the Deadvle, which is a spectacular spot, on the morning of the new moon, mm-hmm. on the morning of a full moon. And um, they said, yes, let us go and so they put the whole trip together oh my they goodness. picked the lodges wow. they set up the guides and handle all the logistics which is awesome that's that's wonderful because that takes a big weight kind of off of you as far as yeah yeah and uh you know they they charge a fee and a percentage but it's absolutely worth it um, because we ended up with wonderful guides great equipment super outfitter and spectacular lodges and the trip was just perfect. And uh, same thing in uh, Nepal, because uh, just two of us went to Nepal more or less as a, uh, I have a Nepalese friend. And we went uh, to explore and scout and learn how to put on another trip there. And uh, we worked with an outfitter there who put the whole trip together. I got off the plane, gave him a wad of cash, and uh, he gave me my itinerary. Oh, my goodness. Saw him 10 days later, and he gave me the leftover money, and it was perfect. (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So on a trip like this, there's people that that know how to do it. Um, I'm more than happy to to pay a fee for an outfitter. Right. Um, There's a certain joy of putting together your own trip. Right. But I'll do that more or less uh, for myself when I'm going on a a private trip. uh, I'm perfectly happy to use a local outfitter. And our Bolivia Chile trip, we're using. Because that's the one that's yeah, coming, up coming up, next, up right? yeah. yeah. And uh, also uh, with a very good outfitter and um, uh, working with uh, 
another agency that specializes in Africa and South America. And, uh, again, set up the basic parameters of where I want to go and what I'd like to see. And um, pretty soon the itinerary comes, and generally it looks fantastic. We'll adjust it a little bit. So you've already scouted, though, these areas before you decide. No, not really. Not really? <laughs> this is one of the cool things. That's even, I guess that's even more cool because you get to that excitement. Because I, I think it's exciting myself. If it's somewhere I've been, you kind of see it in a new light when you go back with people that, wow, I've never seen that the trees can be so red in Vermont. And that's exciting. Mm-hmm. But you're right. now you get like the double excitement because yes. you don't know what it's going to, the sky is going to be like or the, and you're with other people that are equally excited. And, and, and I'll probably continue to do that. Uh, there's a few trips I'll repeat. I'll repeat Namibia because it's so spectacular and very likely we'll repeat uh, Bolivia, Chile. Um, but I've also got my eye on, um, maybe not Toros del Paine, which is the southern part of Patagonia, which is also really impacted with people now. But uh, we're just starting to put together a trip down the coast of Chile. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. What's the landscape like there? Because I'm not, some of these places I'm just not familiar with, to be honest. It's, it's, um, it's similar to the Inland Passage in Alaska. It's, Rainforest, trees, glaciers, amazing rivers, small communities, and a spectacular country. Uh, and not very often visited. Interesting. Yes. Yeah, I know. It doesn't sound like it's yeah. often. Because it seems like you like to do a mix, too, of people, animals, landscapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so the ability to go down and, and connect with the Chileans, who are really friendly people and wonderful people, Um in an area where it's not completely over-impacted with, uh, with the tourist trade. So we're getting a completely different experience. And uh, we're also working on a starting to put together a trip into northwest Australia. Oh, wow. The northwest, the other side that's of Australia. That's the other side. That's, again, not yeah. people I don't think are as familiar with that. Right. We probably won't make it to Ayers Rock, but... So the Northwest, tell me a little bit about Northwest Australia again. Okay, it's geologically kind of unknown because we don't see it. We don't see pictures of (laughs) it. It's it's not on everybody's map. But it'll be a a trip where we'll fly in small planes from one spot to another to an outback uh, sheep ranch and, and get into the plane again and fly to this area with these amazing rock gorges and then big beautiful beaches um, run away from some crocodiles (laughs) (laughs) all right well that brings me to how agile do your participants is that something that you kind of go over when people contact you i mean these trips don't sound like that they might be for just well it depends it depends on the trip um namibia um, the longest walk was maybe a half a mile. Oh, okay. Well, um, then I could do that. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a yeah. mountain climber. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when I look at your descriptions, I'm thinking uh, Galen Rowell. And for those of you, Galen Rowell was a well-known, again, landscape photographer, climbing mountains and hanging off of cliffs. And <laughs> No, yeah. No, we're doing things that we can, um, you know, looking at the 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 people that we're, that I'm, I'm, looking for um no they're not 
They're not extreme. They're not extreme trips. <laughs> okay. the, the, ex, the only thing extreme about Bolivia will be altitude. Because okay. we'll be from as high as 14,000 feet to as low as 8,000 feet. Um, but most of the photography will be within a few steps of the cars. Okay. You know, and there's a chance for some horseback riding, um, some different activities. I'm sure we could mountain bike if we wanted. Um, but, uh, yeah, and it depends so, a little on the trip. That's what I was going to say. Does it depend on maybe who signed up for the trip, kind of how you gear it as far as walking, hiking, you know, okay. difficulty, let's yeah. say. Yeah, a or... good, good question. No, I pretty much designed the trip. Like Bhutan, there'll be seven days of trek. Okay. Of trekking in the in the Himalaya. It's just instead of me carrying my all my goods, you let somebody else be the schlepper. Yeah, okay. we'll have, <laughs> uh, have porters and horses okay. taking the heavy gear. And the porters uh, and the crew will set up camp. And it's, it's relatively... Uh, non-strenuous, um, four to five hours of walking a day with plenty of time for stops. And then when we pull into camp, the tents and everything will be set up, tea will be ready, and dinner will be cooked. Um, wow. Which is pretty See, nice. Yeah, I was going to say, that, that part of it sounds, <laughs> yeah. you know, sounds pretty yeah. sweet, you know. Yeah. I'm not cooking my own <laughs> for the fire or whatever. <laughs> no. No, it's not saying that I wouldn't put together a trip like that. Right. I'd, I'd like to. So yeah. who, what type of, I guess, what type of photographer is this geared towards? Because, you know, you, people look at your trips, they see them advertised. It's going to be a photographer that's kind of looking for this journey. But mm-hmm. like I said, not everybody may be comfortable with all the activities. But is there a certain age group that you find that come leans your way or I guess? Well, a lot of the... Um... Uh, you know, to put together time and money and equipment and interest tends to be um, folks that are a little more towards the retirement side, um, you know, that they have that's the true. time and, yeah, that's and the true. money when and the desire and ability to travel. When they're two and three weeks. Yeah. Now. Um, now, Bhutan, that could be from anybody from, um, you know, in the 20s all the way up to 60s or depending on their uh, ability to walk. You know, 70s is, is 70 is the new 50. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. Yeah, that's so, true. Um, so the world is just open then oh, when you plan it like great. this. And you've gotten comfortable, obviously. Mm-hmm. With the logistics and with mm-hmm. contact, like, hey, there's an area on the map that I haven't seen yet. And and that's kind of it. And that actually is a little bit of a challenge in promoting the trip because I won't have photographs of it right. yet. So, uh, and that does bring up an interesting point. How mm-hmm. do you promote these trips if maybe you've only had a small amount of time to either go there, not go there prior and properly? Yeah. <laughs> Well, like um, Bhutan, I haven't been there, but I have been to Nepal. So, and there are some parallels. So, I was able to use some of my photography and in presentations talk about the Nepal trip and kind of compare that to some of the things we'll see in Bhutan. Uh, the first time for Namibia, I didn't have pictures, so I borrowed oh, uh, did from you? some photographers that had been. And then there's also uh, Wikimedia or Common uh, Collective Commons. Oh, that's true. So there's photography out there available that you can use as long as you attribute. Uh, and so I did that both for Bhutan and for uh, 
for Namibia. Um, I did find it was much easier to promote Namibia after I had been once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you can speak from those yeah. personal yeah. experiences. And the, uh, the, the interest that it created. So, again, I'm looking for people that are interested in rolling the dice a little bit. Okay. Mm, Northwest Australia. Haven't even heard of it. Sounds interesting. Uh, if it's somebody that's willing to experiment and explore and take a little bit of a chance, to me, that's a perfect client. And uh, So how best, what works best, I guess, in finding your clients? What type of, do you say advertise? Do you, I mean, I met mm -hmm. you. I personally, I'm always living in Southern California, I must say. We're blessed. There's so many people interested in photography and just population. We're in a heavily populated area, so it's a numbers game. So you can easily either word of mouth, ask around, you know, someone's doing a presentation. So I can go listen to someone like you and go, wow, that Dan guy, he, <laughs> he sounds exciting. And I think I want to go on a trip with him and see your other images, which speak then volumes about the potential that's there and what I could potentially learn through your eyes, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So how, what, what I guess works best as far as advertising and finding these unique, because they are a unique client for these longer trips, mm -hmm. I would must mm -hmm. say. Yeah, it's, um, again, it's a mixture. The social network is awesome. Uh, Facebook, Google+, Instagram, uh, I've picked up clients through there. I've actually picked up, you know, from my website, uh, which is interesting. Uh, I think I find most effective is face-to-face. -face. Yeah. Um, and I pr I've presented to many of the different camera, camera clubs and associations, and I've picked up good clients and some word of mouth there. And it's really fun to be able to talk, and when people can feel the enthusiasm, right? Uh, that makes a big difference. How about the art shows? Because I know... They help a lot, too. Yeah. Um because I'll keep a mailing list and uh, and have people sign up. And there, there again, it's a chance to talk about photography. Um, and they're seeing the imagery, the photographs. Right. And um, so... Plus every art show I, that you participate in, at least the ones I've been, mm -hmm. you're, you're sitting there, right? Yes. And I assume that's how you do the other ones as well? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I haven't ever done a show where I've had somebody else uh, show my work Uh because for me, an art show is the sales are nice, and it's why I go. But the primary rush is the connection and talking with people. And uh, um, and I've had a wonderful range of emotional conversations with people just in you know in the the bounds of the small art show tent. Yeah. And uh, so I've created, I've picked up clients for both private lessons, for group lessons, and for workshops, and sold work. So, uh, um, and I think it's also helped uh, with the commercial and the uh, mm. the events. Doing, say, a spread for the, like the music story is what mm -hmm. you're referring to, mm -hmm. or some of the magazine. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Talk about outdoor photographer. How did you? How, okay. How much have you been in? Because I'm sure too people see the 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 cop. You know, unless you did they do a little. Yeah, it wasn't the actual magazine. It was in a book of of uh, contest winners, which was very very cool. Still, that speaks a lot. Yes. I mean, I think outdoor photographers got to be probably 
the main magazine, at least the top magazine that, you know, outdoor enthusiasts that are interested in a camera pickup or mm-hmm. first find themselves drawn to it's on all, you know, it's in Barnes and Noble, it's everywhere. And mm-hmm. so that's quite an accolade yeah. too, to be chosen for that. Yeah. And I've had several photos of the day, which is also quite nice. And that goes out on all the social networks. And so that's helped to well, Instagram, that's that's yeah. good to know for mm-hmm. people to really use Instagram and get their photos out there and Mhm. Yeah, I'm I'm Facebook is the big thing for me cuz really? yeah, the the connection with people and I look through I've got a pretty good sized friend list and I pretty much know them all either oh, do you? <laughs> either personally or th- via just connecting through through Facebook and through posting. Right. And it's really fun to be out on the field sometime and meet one of your Facebook friends face to face. Yeah. Oh you. Oh you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh I've seen you. <laughs> oh that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's changed the whole world of of photography and just the ability to promote and touch and reach people. So uh, uh, the downside is it's really easy to spend a lot of time on yeah, it. Yeah, it can be a time just drain in yes. a way, kind yeah. of, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, the trips are, uh, I'm, I'm moving more and more into the trips. Um, you know, so you've I, got how many international trips left this year, if, uh, if listeners are still interested? In- yes, Bolivia is coming up in May. Um, pretty much full, but, uh, uh, we might be able to squeeze in a last minute if somebody was really interesting because Bolivia, oh my gosh. Um, again, it's a little bit off the map. People don't it is. really know yeah, that's about what I said. Bolivia. I mean, I don't think a lot of us, I know I don't know a lot about it. Oh, it's a fantastic country. I was there once before to climb and we climbed three different peaks and wow. got to touch with, uh, the people in the place. Um. It's truly what we think about older South America. It's very heavy um, uh, Indian, and um, the culture is is quite old and very unique, very different. Um, People are quiet, much more reserved than some of the other countries I visited. Uh, But once you do break through that reserve, they open up and just... Uh, amazingly friendly people and the the scenery the altiplano which is a high altitude plain uh, that ranges from 10 to fourteen thousand feet and then it hits the mountains and wow. the mountains go up from there the and Andes what's are spectacular. the season going to be like when you visit yeah we'll be there in in um, may which is uh going into their fall and uh just after the rainy season. So one of the highlights of this trip is the largest salt flat in the world. It's oh, called wow. Salar de Iuni. And uh, if we're lucky, there'll still be a little bit of rain and water on the pan, and you end up with the largest mirror mm. in the world. Uh, otherwise, we'll get there and be able to walk out on this amazingly flat level salt fan full of hexagons and and uh, wow. patterns in the sand in the salt uh, we'll spend uh, two nights at uh, lake titicaca we'll explore la paz and a couple of other ancient sites and then f- we'll fly to the salar 
and this area is so big and so flat that they use it to uh, for satellites to set accurate levels on their GPSs. It's unbelievable. And then from there, we drive into the northern Atacama Desert in Chile through some of the most outrageous, amazing desert scenery with geologic formations, salt lakes, flamingos, geysers, volcanoes. That's such a mix. Flamingos, geysers, and desert. Yes. (laughs) And then La Paz refreshed my... Is that like a... In Indian, uh, like, ruins? Is it like oh, a civilization? Okay, okay. Um, okay, La Paz is the capital of okay. Bolivia. Okay, thank you. And it's you. a fairly large city. I forget how many, you know, thousands of people live there. Um, and it ranges in, uh, the airport is at 14,000 feet. Oh, wow. Which is like at the top of Mount Whitney. Yeah, that's, yeah. When we uh, live at sea level, pretty yeah. much. It's like, yeah. that's a ship. And then La Paz itself is, fills a canyon that goes down and drops to maybe about 10,000 feet. Um, right on the edge of the Andes. It and it's been views. there for centuries, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was Do the old... people still kind of go about their daily lives, you'd say, as they have for... For a long, long time. Um, You'll have indigenous people wearing clothes and styles uh, that they've always worn. Big, billowing, bright-colored blouses and and skirts and and a very cool hat. Mm -hmm. Um, Carrying babies in a a multicolored blanket. Uh, It's absolutely interesting and absolutely genuine. Wow. And the challenge there is... Uh, is photographing because they do not want to be photographed. I was just going to say, the pe- how, what is, yeah, how do the people feel as such about being photographed? And- um, culturally, um, there are two large indigenous uh, groups, and neither one of them like to be photographed. And uh, So that's a challenge. It is a challenge. Because all of us would <clears throat> want to, you see things, I mean, I see things happening now in street scenes mm-hmm. just in say, Europe, Paris, mm-hmm. and again, it's that challenge of if I want to catch that scene that's happening without them posing, or worse, turning their back on me. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll do a little stealth photography, uh, just um, um, yeah, just hold the camera down below and not use a big lens. Right. And <clears throat> also look at you know getting permission. Hold up the camera and ask with your face. And if you get a a right. head shake, then you say thank you very much and move on. Right. And every once in a while, they'll break up in a smile and you oh, get really? an amazing, oh, that's unique great. experience. And the camera can break barriers. I it have... really can. Okay. It really can. One of my favorites is of a of a young lady um, in, a, in a poncho with this big hat working at a stall and uh, all tones of tan. And uh, we had talked a little bit. And uh, then I asked her for a photograph, and she let me know. And uh, I saw her, but she wouldn't look at the camera. She had a kind of a sheepish oh, smile she's as kinda, she's yeah. looking down. And it's one of my favorite photographs <sighs> ever. Right. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that, yeah, you they maybe are curious or want, but something's tugging at them like, no, I shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Or... Wow, fabulous. So uh, so this is the kind of experience I'm looking for. It's one that I can be excited about myself and that I can share with a small group of people that come along. And uh, again, oh, the itinerary is fairly fixed, but not completely. 
Right. And again, so if if uh, if you're excited about a, a journey where you'll see culture and people and place and the ability to photo- photograph wildlife, landscape, nature, um, and not glued to a rigid itinerary where everything is planned out, well, this is the kind of trip that we lead. Yeah, it sounds fabulous. Mm-hmm. So a typical day just of, on, say, the upcoming trip, how would you... How okay. do, what time do we start? What time do we end? Is there... Well, the days will be full, and it depends on on, on, on each day will be different. Right. Um, we'll get up, and it, depending on where we are, we'll get up in time for sunrise, and it depends on weather, too. Um, so maybe have scouted out the previous evening uh, for a sunrise place, or... We just know that the sun's going to come up. Right. And Let's so get out there. Yeah. And compose on the go. Right. Which is what I do a lot. No, I know. It's, it's, there's an adrenaline rush to yeah. that. I must say, I like that too. Yeah. I do like chasing the sun for that magical 15 or 20 minutes. Right. And as the sky is starting to light up, oh my God, this is gorgeous. Now, where's the photograph? Yeah, where's the, yeah, where's the photograph? Run, where run, can run. I pull what, off? You know, yeah, you know, where's the, the foreground? Where's this? Where's that? And then... Do you have a driver? Yes. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Yes. Because <laughs> yes. I know that's a challenge with myself. Sometimes I do the driving and the looking and it's like, it's tough. Yeah. It's like, can we just give the wheel to somebody else and I'll just like say, stop now, stop now. <laughs> So we'll have the, the sunrise shoot, then come back for breakfast. Um, then many, most of the days will be some travel during the day from one space to another. Right. Um, then the, ne- the next lodge, uh, explore during the day. You know, um, with a small group, it's really quite easy to hit the brakes and pull over and and stop and photograph. One of the neatest experiences in Namibia is our, our guide was driving at about 120 kilometers per hour about 70 right yeah on this big flat salt plain miles and miles and miles and we'd already had a pretty busy day and we were not much there's not much here in this spot it's kind of every kind of flat and not too interesting and everybody kind of zoned out was kind of lost in their own little private world and all of a sudden jimmy slams on the brakes Uh uh-huh does a big wide turn we're pulling a small trailer, drives back another quarter mile or so, stops and gets out and says, see? And there was about a five-inch chameleon. Oh, you're kidding. He spotted a five-inch <laughs> chameleon at that, <laughs> driving like that. <laughs> wow, what an eye. It was so cool. That is super cool. And a bit later that day, um, we'd left the coast and we're headed inland and uh, all of a sudden, one of the passengers says, there's a rhino. Oh. And just from here to the tree, which is about, oh, 20 yards, was a big female black rhino. Oh, my gosh. And Jimmy says, okay, we got to be really quiet because uh, very likely she'll charge us. Mm. And so um, we photographed her outside the open window, through the open yeah, window. Yeah, through the window, right. And uh, she just sat there and knew we were there and paid us no attention. Wow. And slowly fabulous. moved off. What a rush. Unbelievable. I mean, it's, 
like every day is like an every adventure. day is a, yeah is an adventure yeah so there is no strict itinerary we've right. got a starting point and an ending point and what happens in between can be magical or it could be a lot of open road but even the open road gives chance for conversation for relaxation for a little meditation right it's all good so how many international trips do you think you'll probably do you are you looking to like say gear it three to a year or just kind of is going to be fluctuating the next say, couple of years it'll I, fluctuate a bit um because I know you've already got good. some on the books for 2018, too, yes. right? Yeah, and it's so, time now to uh, ink the trips to the Chile and Patagonia and, uh, and Australia. And I'll look at doing another bear trip in Alaska, which is amazing fun, as we get to go photograph up close wow. and friendly with some of the biggest brown bears yeah. in the world as they're chasing, and fish for salmon. Right. <laughs> You've so, been doing the, the Alaska one though for a little bit, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And Alaska is, is another though. amazing place. So, um, three trips would would be plenty uh, because there's also wonderful places still I want to travel here, and I like to do some on, on my own. Right, right. Mm -hmm. What kind of price range do your international trips run? Because I didn't notice mm -hmm. that information as such. I know that each trip is going to be priced differently, but just to give our listeners kind of a ballpark on yeah. some of the international trips. The um, <clears throat> excuse me, the um, Alaska Bear Trip, because that's almost international because you're going yeah, a long way. Yeah, of course. Depending on the lodge I use, is between 4500 and a little over 5000 And... Uh, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, Seven that is amazing. Seven days of bears and salmon in a great place. Uh, and like I say, I've got two different lodges. One is a little less. One is a, and it's a fishing camp. Right. Still pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> the other's more of a lodge, which is is nicer. Right. And um, Bhutan is about seventy four hundred, and Namibia is a little on the pricey side because Africa is not inexpensive. But Africa right. is Africa. Right, it's, it's Africa. Yeah. So 18 days all-inclusive for $12,000. But uh, when you've got your meals and your, yeah, everything. all the transport, everything taken care of, mm -hmm. I mean, it sounds pretty much. Yeah, and that's pretty much the way I'm working these trips. They're all-inclusive. All um, Bolivia, there's a few meals we'll buy on our own, but other than that, cause we'll be switching between a couple of different guide companies. Um but, yeah, the all-inclusive is really nice because you know what your budget is. Right. And uh, um, and so I, I try, and I also try and keep my prices, you know, as low as possible. Right. You know, to cover my costs and make some profit. But right. open it up to as many people as possible. Yeah. Because there's it. some trips that are quite expensive. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've, yeah, we've all seen those. Mm -hmm. Well, I've got to move on to – I have a segment I have on most of my interviews – where it's what's in your bag. <laughs> so okay, okay. what's in your camera bag? What's in Dan? my camera bag? Like, yeah, lenses. What what goodies are in there? I think it, we're all curious what. Well, I, you know, I've got an iPhone and an Instamatic. That's it? <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays. A lot know. of people don't even know what an Instamatic now that, is. That's what I mean. A lot of people yeah. don't. Yeah. No, I, I'm a Canon shooter. Okay. I've... Um, uh, just bought uh, about six months ago now. I bought the Canon 5D Mark IV. Oh, nice! Which is fantastic! Wow, unbelievable! 
um, love everything about it. And uh, I try and keep my kit fairly small, actually. Uh, I, I make a parallel between if you have five coats in your closet and you go for a trip, you have to make at least five or six different decisions. Right. Which one am I going to take? If you have one coat, you just grab it and go. One decision. So I generally travel with about three lenses. I've got a 28-300 Canon, uh, which supposedly is not a landscape lens, but I love it dearly. I love the range. I love the color and the contrast. It's heavy, um, but I like to say it saves me $40 a month. Okay. The other puzzled look. Yeah, exactly. How so? Because I don't have to go to the gym. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. That's true. If you get used to lugging, it must be quite hefty. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit heavy, but not bad. So I use a 28300, uh, 1635. Okay. And those are pretty much my two lenses that I carry. In a, I can carry that whole kit in a fanny pack. Really? Yeah. Nice. Um, drape my tripod over my shoulder fanny pack with a little strap and and i'm good to go so you take one body or do you on a big bed? trip to africa i'll take two bodies okay i'll take two bodies to uh, bolivia bhutan where we're going to be walking i'll probably just take one and uh, uh, i rented a extra body to take to namibia last time and that worked out fantastic um ats rental for those, it's a nice plug. Really, really good outfit. ATS, ATS rent- rental. Okay, and, good to know because uh, there are other rental companies, but mm-hmm. if you find one that works. They were good gear, super service, Fabulous. perfect. Um, so on a big trip in Africa, we'll talk about that. I'll, I'll have more gear. I'll have two bodies, the 28300, 1635, and I carry the Sigma 15600 Sport, and that's also big, heavy, but a wonderful lens. Love the range, and as a wildlife lens, it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, that's going to be incredible. Yeah, the 600. So from 150 to 600, and then now the nice thing with the Canon 5D Mark IV, the big 15600 will work in autofocus with a 1.4 telephoto Ooh, teleconverter. 1.4, mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. So it auto before it'd have to, I could put the converter on it, but it would have to manual focus. Any filters on your bag? Um, two filters that are always with me are a series of graduated neutral density filters. And I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't have changed my life to become a photographer without the graduated neutral density uh, filter. Those are beautiful. Yes. I've really fallen in love with them myself. <laughs> and so now I really I keep wanting to play with like waves and water and sky and things. That yeah. Are, yeah. So this is the graduated, which allows me to shoot to even out. It's dark on the top and clear on the bottom. And uh, almost all my landscape f- photographs are done with a grad and a polarizer. I always use a polarizer. Polarizer is always on the camera. And uh, it's not just for sky, but the polarizer is amazing in the shade. Uh, Inside a forest, fall colors, um, the polarizer gets rid of glare, and the colors become much richer and much more saturated. That's interesting to know that Mm -hmm. you leave it on. It's on all the time. All the time. And I'll take it off when when I need to, but it's always on. 
And then I have uh, a couple of neutral density filters, a 4-stop and a 10-stop. And that's about it as far as the filters. That's pretty light. So three primary lenses, the 150-600, the 28-300, I've got a fisheye, which is mainly for fun. Uh, I'll pull that out on a you know on a group sometimes and have fun oh, distorting sounds, people. Yeah, that it's sounds great fun. fun. Yeah. Um, if I'm backpacking, I've got a very lightweight um, uh, Tamron uh, twenty-eight three hundred, small, very light, um, and then a, a Canon seventy-two hundred that I use for portrait work, but I don't use it anywhere near as much as uh, now that I have the twenty-eight three hundred. Yeah, those zoom ones are kind of—they're really invaluable, I think, for mm-hmm. traveling almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't actually—I don't have any primes. I've got all zooms, and I'm quite happy with the zooms. Good, that's great. So, so that pretty much comprises your pack. Yep. Yep. I'm an enduro tripod guy. I was just going to ask. Yeah. So good. What kind of tripod? The enduro. It's this. I think the second largest one. I don't know the. Is it got the, the, the clips number. or the twist or the twist? I'm. I'm. I'm a fan of the twists, and uh, and how many pieces? Because I know some, pl- you know, you read, you read yeah. so much, you can spend so much time yeah. reading about gear, looking at gear, and until you really take it in the field. And when you're someone that's been in the field, I know a lot of other photographers are always asking, "What do you take?" So yeah, so what- it's a, the, I think the second largest enduro carbon. 313, I don't remember, I'm not a guy for model numbers. It's got three segments. So it has three, okay. And it goes up, and I'm fairly tall, and I have to shorten it a little bit most of the time, but I like the extra, the height. And I do use a center column, you know, on occasion. Uh, I tend not to. I know, I've done it too. uh, (laughs) But I would much rather have the center column because there are times when it comes in handy. Right. You know, maybe one shot out of a thousand. Um, and I use the small enduro ball head, which works fine with all my heavier zooms. Interesting. That's great. And even, it will even handle the, the large 15600. Okay. And that's the enduro ball head. Yeah. Now, what is really nice with the heavier lens is a Wemberley sidekick. Um, it's, um... I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not familiar yeah. with that. So. <laughs> this is, this is a, a pivoting arm to lock in and hold your long telephoto. Okay. But it, goes, it works off of your regular ball head. Um, fairly light, fairly small, works wonderful. Doesn't take up a lot of room then. Yep. And I just used it on the commercial shoot. We used it both with the 28300 and also with the, um, the camera on the, and my wide angle. So it's very adaptable. So that was a really good buy. Um, That's pretty much it for the kit. You know, batteries. um, I don't do much computing when I'm on the road. Uh, We decided in Africa to go ahead and not take the computers. Yes, get together when we get home. And we had a nice session after we got back. Oh, with the whole group. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, which that was, was nice really that you were fun. able to do that. Because yeah. um, sometimes your participants, depending on where they have to run off to, you don't always have the luxury yeah, of that. We wouldn't. That wouldn't happen every time, but it was here. Um, 
now with Lightroom uh, mobile for the pad, iPad, and the ability to Wi-Fi from my camera to the iPad, uh, I'll take the iPad to Africa this next time. Um, but it's also, you know, I talked to the group before we went. I said, well, do you want to take computers and spend time downloading and working mm, on imagery, right. you know, to make it a true workshop, uh, which is perfectly fine. We can right, do that. Right, you were open to that. Or would you rather leave the computers at home and spend the night, you know, in the evening, uh, you know, watching a sundown, you know, oh, having a gin and tonic right. and a sundowner, uh, just enjoying oh, the group was unanimous and they, everybody left their the computers The conversation, the camaraderie and the food mm -hmm. and... Mm -hmm. I think that makes sense it when you're traveling really nice. that far. I know for myself, if I'm investing that kind of money and that kind of time, I think I'd rather, you know, use the much of the day as I can to collect and, and immerse myself in this, like you said, different culture, different people, different foods and, and each other, whatever, whatever other interesting characters. Yeah, was, <laughs> I'll say characters because I know we got to be characters to be addicted to go to these places and then do all that back end later. The computer can yeah, wait. I, I mean, tend not to work on images at all when I'm traveling, even if it's a local trip. Um, it is fun now with Wi-Fi on the camera and Lightroom Mobile to be able to download to that makes the sense. pad or the iPhone, work on it with Lightroom, get it to where it's semi-finished, right. and be able to post it from the trip. Yeah. Because in the past, I would just only be able to post from my iPhone. Right. Which is not the same. No, it's not the same. Mm -hmm. No. And as far as computer and post, um, spend a lot of time upstairs in the office. I'm a Mac user. I've got a tower and uh, a couple of Mac monitors and, so you enjoy uh, the post-processing after? Yeah, I do. Okay. Yeah, it's it's part of the process. It's and whenever there's I'm, a whole artistry there. Oh, I love it too. Um, so I'll spend a lot of time keywording and doing my metadata first, and then go in and rank them. Uh, so I have a whole process, and uh, uh, which I've actually teach right and do private lessons and. Have been able to straighten some people out on right. their, on their whole system, and then I use Lightroom and Photoshop, and uh, a little bit of Silver Effects Pro for black and white. Um, but I'll get things about seventy five percent done in Lightroom and do the final touches in Photoshop, and then I'm done. And I don't do a tremendous amount of of work on the photographs. I tend to work with color and contrast. Yeah, minimal. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, you know, I like vivid colors. I'm still um, seeing life through Velvius light film. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I love that Velvius light yeah, film. With the, you know, the vivid high contrast colors right. and contrasts. And, and I tend to still see that. And so I work to that point. And uh, every once in a while, I'll go a little bit too far, and I'll come back a little bit later and go, oh, that's a little hot, right. and then pull it back. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, I like I like color and contrast. Great. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to let our listeners know, how do they contact you, Dan? So go ahead and tell them the best way to your website or how to contact you if they're awesome. interested in these trips. So. Okay. Yeah. Um, through my website, uh, danholmesphoto.com. 
danholmesphoto.com. Yep, Got that's it? pretty easy. That's easy. And uh, email is dan at danholmesphoto.com. And uh, my cell phone is fine. Which is on your website, it's I believe. It's on my website. danholmesphoto.com. Yeah. Yep. The and workshops are on there. Facebook. Facebook. Dan look, Holmes Photo. Dan Holmes Photo. Uh, yeah. And I think if you just look Dan Holmes Photo and add Ventura. Yeah. I believe you need Ventura, California. Yeah. I think there is another. There's a Daniel Holmes that does some photography. Yeah. But. And there's a Dan Holmes Photography in Texas. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's the one I ran <laughs> yeah, across in Texas. Yeah. yeah but the Dan so, I'm speaking with is in California. California. <laughs> and so, we were sitting here on a beautiful day in Ventura, California. So... Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Dan, for sharing your experiences. I hope some of you will contact Dan and join one of his wonderful excursions. They're very exciting. And please go to his website. Check out where he might be showing his work next. Do you have any upcoming shows? Uh, September. September It'll be Ventura Art one? Festival. Yeah. Okay. Because mm-hmm. you're traveling pretty much kind of in and out. Pretty much all yeah, the time. <laughs> yeah, all the time. I know. I'm lucky I got a Sunday afternoon. So... Thank you very much, Dan. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And check out Eyes for the Road for our next adventure and our next interview with another fabulous photographer. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you.